0: Pastor Gowrie said to me as I entered, you look stressed. She looks relaxed because someone else is in the pulpit. It's both my joy and privilege to be able to share God's word with you this morning. Uh, Pastor Ronald is away. Uh, I'm really grateful to both our pastors for sharing the pulpit this morning. So let's go to God in prayer. Our Father, we thank you. We serve a reasoned savior. We thank you for the cross and for redemption and for the forgiveness of sins through your death, burial, and resurrection. As we think about your resurrection, Lord, this morning and its implication for our lives, your call on our lives to witness to the Gospel, to love you and to love fellow men, and to bear fruit for the kingdom. We ask you, Lord, now to open our eyes that we may see you, open our ears, that we may hear your call, and open our hearts that we may surrender them to your service. We pray now, Lord, that you speak to us. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of a heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Over these past weeks, we have been looking at the series, The Implication of the Resurrection for Life. We had looked at various scriptural passages, and today we are considering three different scriptures. And I ask you to bookmark this in your Bible as I take you through each of these passages as we consider the Christian's calling in the light of Jesus Christ's resurrection. How are we to live for our risen Lord? But let me first say, without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. The Apostle Paul didn't mince his words when he said in 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. In other words, if Christ has not been raised, If Christ was still dead, you and I have believed in vain. But if Christ has been raised from the dead, and I say to you there is ample, no, I think overwhelming historical evidence for Jesus' resurrection, then you and I have to make a choice. If we choose to believe in Christ, then we must follow him, obey his call on our our lives. And our Christian calling is to be witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to love God and to love people, and lastly, to bear fruit for his kingdom. The Apostle John recounts Jesus' resurrection in chapter 20, and he said this, Jesus had then appeared to the disciples after his death, and the Apostle Philip was amongst the disciples who saw the risen Christ. He received the Holy Spirit with rest as Jesus breathed on the disciples. Philip was convinced that Jesus was for real. He realized Jesus was who he said he was, the Son of God and the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Like all the other disciples, the resurrection of Jesus Christ had great impact on Philip. His life turned around and faithfully, faithfully he spread the word of the gospel in Samaria despite the fierce persecution against the Christians in that time. Come for a while now to Samaria. Just imagine, put on your 3D glasses, and then to see what is happening in Samaria at that time. We rewind a little to chapter 8 of the book of Acts in verse 1. And it says this, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria. He proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So that was the situation which Philip found himself when God called him away to another mission. Philip was in Samaria at that time. There was great persecution, but yet there was great rejoicing because many people were coming to Christ. If you could imagine, there were evangelistic crusades every night, outreach meetings, and scores of people turned to Christ. They heard the gospel preached. They saw many signs and wonders. And they were praising God in the city. And it was in the midst of this fanfare and the great rejoicing that God called Philip away. To do what? To witness to a lonely stranger in the desert. You wouldn't think it would be a great idea, isn't it? To call Philip away. Also, to witness to one lonely soul but God thinks otherwise and we will find out why later on. Every Christian is called to witness. God is calling, ring, 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 will you answer? The Christian's primary calling is to live and witness for Christ. But God knows we can't do it on our own. We need the power of God. And so he empowers the disciples for this task, commissions them to preach the gospel. We all know the Great Commission, Acts 1-8. The Lord issues this command to his disciples but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Great Commission is very clear. We receive power from the Holy Spirit to do what? To witness. We become Christ witnesses in the world. Doesn't sound too difficult, isn't it? But then, why do we not witness more? If we are honest to ourselves, we feel powerless to witness because we are up against all those who oppose the gospel. We fear rejection. We are mocked and ridiculed, and we wonder where is this power Jesus was talking about. That is because we forget that the battle is not fought in the physical realm. It is fought in the spiritual realm, where the power of God, the power of God in Greek is dunamis The English term is dynamite the dynamite of God at work in people's lives. We must imagine this power, this dynamite exploding in the face of the devil, tearing down strongholds and releasing people from their bondage to sin when we witness for Christ. Scripture tells us in Ephesians six twelve, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. My fellow brothers and sisters, conversion is the work of the Spirit of God. You and I are but channels that God used to reach out to people. So that should take some of the burden off our shoulders if you are thinking that you have to convert the next guy sitting next to you to a Christian. We may not see physical signs and wonders, but you can be sure the spiritual battle rages on. We are called into this battle with Christ leading us as we witness for him. So remember, the dunamis, the dynamite of God, armed with the power of the Holy Spirit, we become Christ's witnesses. We shall now turn to our text in Acts 8, verses 26 to 40. The Apostle Philip heard God's call, When he was busy witnessing in Samaria, many people heard the gospel then, they received Christ. But in the midst of all that was going on in Samaria, God called him away to witness to a complete stranger, a lone soul out in the desert. What does this show? That God loves that lone soul, doesn't he? (laughs) He loves the individual, as much as he cares for the group, the crowd back in Samaria. Yes, evangelistic meetings, evangelistic crusades are all good, but we should not forget the individual. There is a place to reach out to the crowds as it is for one-on-one evangelism. Chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Now when God calls, you answer. You don't leave the phone ringing. You don't argue. You obey because you trust Him. The angel said to Philip, Go south to the road, that desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. What that meant was he had to leave Samaria, that city where the action was, and go to that remote place, travelling through the desert road. Now imagine you are having fun in the city, and then you are called away to that remote kampong all by yourself. Not a very pleasant task, is it? But to be a witness for Jesus may mean inconvenience. We have to be prepared to rearrange our routine, walk the second mile, and go out of our way to speak with someone. Verse 27 is an important verse for us. It records Philip's obedience. Philip obeyed. He followed the angel's orders. He did not argue. He did not know what was lying ahead of him. But he went anyway. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, a VIP in charge of all the treasury of the Queen of the Ethiopians. And this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. You see, God has... Prepared for Philip to meet up with this gentleman. He was at the right place at the right time. And because he obeyed and answered God's call, something is going to happen. As it turned out, the utopian was reading the book of Isaiah the prophet, and he was seeking to worship God, and his heart was right to receive the gospel. Verse 29, the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Simple, straightforward instructions. But still, Philip could have turned back. But he did not. He obeyed. He went alongside the chariot, asked the eunuch if he understood what he was reading Notice what the eunuch says. How can I? Unless someone explains it to me. You know, friends, we miss so many opportunities of sharing the gospel if we fail to obey God's calling. We just need to take that first step of obedience. Trust God to lead us. But we are often afraid. We shrink back. We are afraid to ask if we may be of help to someone, or we are just too absorbed in doing our own thing. We shut our ears to the voice of the Spirit calling us. So many times we go away from a conversation, from a meeting with family and friends, and we have not shared something of God's goodness. We miss the opportunity in further discussions about Jesus and the gospel. Verse 31, So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The Eunuch was eager to strike a conversation with Philip, a complete stranger though. But because Philip was there, Philip was willing to offer help. The eunuch invited him to explain the scripture to him. And this is the passage of the scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep on the slaughter, as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture, told him the good news about Jesus. No doubt Philip would have shared the gospel with the eunuch, telling him that Jesus loves him. Jesus died for him on the cross to give him new life. And God was clearly working in the life of the eunuch. When he saw water, verse 38, he commanded the chariots to stand still. They went down, both of them, into the water, both Philip and eunuch, and he baptized him. Who knows what God can do with people's lives? You and I cannot change and convert people. Only God can. And the outcome of Philip's encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch was made possible because Philip obeyed and answered God's call. Secondly, the Christian is called to love, to love God and to love people. God is love. We know that. We say we love Christ. We follow Christ. Then we ought to love God as he told us to. We ought to love him as he loved by willing to lay down our lives for those we love. The Apostle Philip must have understood this as he answered God's call to witness to the utopian eunuch. He was motivated by nothing but love for God and for fellow men. We are to love God, and only when we love God can we love people. Let's turn to our text in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. Verse 7 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. It is plain that people who don't love God don't know God. People who only love themselves don't know God. People who only love those who love them don't know God because God is love. God loves everyone. I'm looking out and I see many seniors amongst us. There is a Sunday school song I used to sing. Maybe you know this. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. The Ethiopian eunuch was black, So colour doesn't matter to God. Red and yellow, black and white, Jesus loves them the same. We are all children of God. Those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ, we are children of God. We come in different shapes and sizes and colours, but that doesn't matter to God. God loves everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now John continues and elaborates on this point. Verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. I think Philip knows this truth and we know from experience that this is true. We all know we ought to love one another because God made us for each other no man is an island but yet sadly there are so many conflicts in our churches in our christian community that people are turned away of course i am speaking generally it doesn't apply to trinity i know we are different we are all loving people We love each other, we hug each other, we don't quarrel. But people from outside read us. They observe our lives from a distance. And when they cannot reconcile what they see with what Jesus teaches, they turn away. So sadly, the church is a poor reflection of Christ to the outside world that is watching all the time. But don't forget, you and I are the church. We have no one else to blame. Verse 14, we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. And this last sentence, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him, is the very essence of living the Christian life. Living in God and God living in us. We must remember that our love for God and people is our response to God's prior love for us. It is God who first loved us. Love didn't begin with us. God is the first mover. Christ first loved us, and we ought to imitate Christ. My friends, God is love, and God loves you. We shouldn't take this so lightly. God gave his only son to save you from his sin and to redeem you. It cost Jesus everything. It cost him his life. We are reminded in John thirteen thirty four to love one another. And Jesus said this to his disciples. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And finally, we are called to bear fruit. I wonder whether it has crossed Philip's mind if perhaps he may have missed out on all the action that is back in Samaria when he answered the Spirit's call to go to the desert to witness to this eunuch. Maybe quietly in his mind, he would have wondered whether he would have been more effective if he had stayed back instead of going away. It's a question we often ask because we too are taken up by numbers. We forget the individual. Perhaps it's a reminder for us to think about those who are lonely, those who are desperate, those who are marginalized and neglected in our community. But for Philip, it was a matter of obedience. Obedience to his Master and Lord. Yes, he is to bear fruit, but not apart from God. And in John 15, 1, 8 Jesus describes himself as the vine, and we are the branches. And the branches only produce fruit if connected to the vine, as Pastor Gowrie has pointed out to the two children. But what is this fruit we are to bear? I think in this context, fruit is a broad term. It embraces love for people and leading the people to turn to Christ. If we bear fruit, that means we love people, and we witness, and we lead people to Christ. Verses one and two says Christ is like a vine; we are His branches. We are these branches shooting off the main trunk, the vine. But God, the Father, is the vine dresser. He prunes back the branches so that they can bear more fruit. And in verse 4, he says, Remain in me and I in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. So the key is to stay connected to Jesus, the vine. We can do nothing apart from Jesus I think if we are left to ourselves, we mess up many times. There are so many times in our lives that we have gone our own way, gone away from God. Perhaps rank shoots start growing on our branches and all kinds of sins beset us. And that's when God, the vine dresser, knows it's time to do the pruning, cut off the shoots. Get rid of the sins that take hold on us, clean us up. And so you and I need some constant pruning. Painful as the process may be, but that's necessary for our lives that we may bear more fruit. God, the vine dresser, knows how to best how best to do this. And finally, verse eight, this is to be to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So to be Jesus' disciples, we must bear much fruit. God has a calling for you, has a calling for every Christian. God is calling you, will you answer? God's call to be a witness for Christ, to love God and love people, and to bear fruit for His kingdom, wherever He has placed you. Be it in your school, at home, in your workplace, wherever we go, we are to be ambassadors for Christ. How will you respond? Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We hear your call. We hear you calling us to come follow you. We believe in you. We will answer your call to follow you, to be your witnesses to your gospel, to love you and love people, and to bear fruit for your glory. Empower us as we pray, as we share the gospel with our family and friends and even strangers you may bring across our pathway. Help us, Lord, to love one another that the world indeed may know we are your disciples by our love. We ask, Lord, that you lead and guide us as we strive to answer and obey your call.